You know, I didn't expect to go this long in Jeremiah, but you know, I, I just can't get off of it because I realize the best time to preach these chapters in Jeremiah is while I'm actually in the book of Jeremiah, while we already have some context. Because some of the things in here, uh, I, there are such important lessons that we just need at some point in our Christian lives to really read through. And, you know, if you've never read through the book of Jeremiah in your Christian life, I hope that, you know, as we've been going through it these last weeks, that um, it would provoke you maybe to read the entire prophecy of Jeremiah. I mean, it's, it's a long book, you know, it's 50 plus chapters. And, you know, if you've never done it, I would say do it. At least now through these messages, you have some context and you kind of know what's going on. It's a 70-year exile in Babylon. There's these mixed messages. You've got a group of prophets preaching a short exile. And you've got Jeremiah, the lone voice, preaching a long exile. And all of these feelings and emotions in the hearts of God's people saying they felt disappointed. They couldn't be comforted. And all of these things swirling around. And we come to this chapter of Jeremiah 32, and we get, we, we get to see this little snapshot and just, just a powerful message and life lesson, I believe, if we are a follower of God. And we're in 32 verse 1. And so it's a snapshot of Jeremiah's life when he's actually imprisoned and the king's palace was converted to a temporary jail, so to speak. And Jeremiah is imprisoned there in the palace. Okay. So verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now Zedekiah, he was just a puppet king of Babylon. Okay. He was just installed and just kind of like that, uh, which was in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which was in the house of the king of Judah. So that's the context. Zedekiah is in power. The palace is kind of converted into this impromptu uh, jail. And Jeremiah the prophet is now imprisoned. He's shut up in this space. Verse 3, because Zedekiah, king of Judah, was shut up, uh, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will take it, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but he shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye, and he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and he shall be there until I visit him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And so this is what the king is saying to Jeremiah. Like he's imprisoning him, saying, why are you saying this against the city? Why are you saying that Babylon will truly overtake it? Why are you saying that I will, will be uh, besieged and, and taken into this space, and I will look at the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar in this way? Okay, and so he's being condemned, and this is what verse 6 says. This is Jeremiah's response. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, and in this way, he's not speaking to Zedekiah uh, uh, face to face in, in this way, like speaking this to him. It's just a word that Jeremiah gets. Okay. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, 
Buy for yourself my field which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Interesting. This is such an interesting little vision that Jeremiah gets. You know, he's in prison, Zedekiah is indicting him, and in this moment he gets a vision from God. God is saying that your cousin is going to visit you, okay? And he's going to offer you to buy some land. That's a strange, untimely word, okay? Why in the world would God say this to Jeremiah in this instance? And then what happens? Verse 8. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field, please. That is in Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin. For you have the right of possession uh, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Okay, So God says, Jeremiah, your cousin's coming. He's going to offer you some land. And then after the vision passes, his cousin actually comes and says, Jeremiah, he's begging him, please buy this land. And in this moment, Jeremiah realized this is sent from God. And so what does he do? And I bought the field which was at Anathoth from Hanamel, my uncle's son. And I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed and sealed the deed and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deeds of purchase, both the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. Now this was according to their tradition. This is what they did. One sealed, one open for everyone to read. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the sight of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I commanded Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, the sealed deed of purchase, and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar. Why? Because this is preservation. This is kind of like, for those of you who are ethnically Korean, to have like those earthenware jars where you put kimchi and you dig it in the ground. It preserves it very well, right? So documents like the Dead Sea Scrolls were preserved in earthenware jars and it just goes a long time. And so Jeremiah is just, just saying, Baruch, put these deeds in these jars to preserve them that they may last a long time. That's the end of verse 14, verse 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. I'm going to stop there for a second. This is such a strange passage of Scripture. I think if you were reading this passage of Scripture by yourself, you'd be like, what in the world is this? I don't get Jeremiah to begin with, and it's kind of all over the place. And this chapter, it's like, wait a minute, like, it's kind of like the timeline is all jumbled up. Am I in the captivity? Am I before the captivity? What's going on? And so Jeremiah, to give you again the big picture concept, Israel is being taken captive by the power of Babylon. And I've recently been watching some documentaries on like the Nazi empire and just the the World War II kind of scenario and just kind of seeing what was happening there. And you have a world power there in Germany and and, you know the Nazi leader and Hitler trying to to just grow the footprint of Germania. 
and you know they go into to parts of Poland and they annex places and, and they're just constantly going and they want to ultimately reach the Soviet and they go also west and they're going into France and they want to go into England and then you have the pushback from the Allies, the, the, the British and, and the Americans and, and as they're pushing back and they're fighting and then there's all of these little tiny states in between the superpowers that are kind of just caught in the middle ground, right? They're the ones that didn't have an army, and they're at the whim of the powers of the day, right? Israel was such a country, right? The powers of the day during this time were the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Egyptians. And as the Persians and the Babylonians and and these Egyptian people, as they're fighting for territory, Israel is caught in the middle ground. Once an Egyptian state, now a Babylonian state or an Assyrian state, this king of, of Israel is really just this puppet king. He's got no power whatsoever. And his people, God's people, seem to be at the mercy of whoever has the upper hand militarily in a season. And in this moment, it's the Babylonians. But this was part of God's bigger picture plan. This is my people. Though the world looks at them as such a small, insignificant state, they're my people. And I have a story that I'm writing in the hearts of this land. And I want them to come closer to me. I've given them laws, they've strayed from that, and because of the things that they've done, I will give them into the hands of the power of the day, the Babylonians. And this will last 70 years. And as Israel was being taken away from their homes, fathers and mothers being split from their children, husbands and wives being widowed or widowered, and as this was all happening, you got prophets rising up to try to calm the storm, right? Because they've been preaching in the temples from week in and week out. They know the people that are being exiled into all these different spaces and they're trying to calm them down saying you know what God is faithful you'll be back home before you know it and they're loving it drinking it up saying yes we want to be back home we don't like this chaos in this war this being split from our families we want to go back to our businesses and our streets and then Jeremiah rises up and says wait this is going to be a long time don't expect a speedy return Get comfortable here in Babylon. Build a house, plant a garden, have your daughters and sons married off. And I want you to think big picture. And I don't want you to revolt against the Babylonians. I don't want you to think badly of them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray that they do well. That's, I mean, if you've ever been suppressed by a a superior, I mean, you're not really praying for their blessing if you're honest with yourself. You know? And so Babylon is pressing in, oppressing them, and God is saying, pray that they do well. <laughs> because if they do well, you'll actually end up doing well. This was what God was saying through Jeremiah, and his message did not sit well with the recipients. You know? And there is this little snapshot here in Jeremiah 32 where he is actually imprisoned. Right? He's being indicted by the king, and not just the king, the people. Right? They didn't like him. They didn't like what he had to say. They didn't like him, just the sight of him most likely. And so now he's being pent up in the palace, in the court, in this guard. And as he is here, likely in chains, he gets a visitor. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in jail. I mean, if you get a visitor, it's like uh, one of those things like, Woo, I got a visitor today. You know, you're happy about that, right? But this is a visit like for a normal <laughs> visit. 
It's not a, like, it's a very insensitive prison visit, this one is, right? You got a guy in prison, hated by his contemporaries, his compatriots, and a family member comes and he's begging him for money, right? This is the scenario. Babylon is overrunning Israel. And when land is overrun, I mean, like I was looking at footage of World War II, right? You look at the streets, bombed out buildings, rubble on the floor, people, are, they're not worried uh, 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 about the structures. They're just fleeing for life, right? And here in this situation, Babylon is overrunning Israel. It is being taken captive. What happens to the value of land in the middle of war? It goes south real fast, right? And so let's say I got a 10-acre parcel of land, and it is in the middle of a war field, right? You got powers coming, and this is just a tiny little insignificant vassal state, and you got powers overrunning it to get to the other side of it. What is the value of my 10 acres? It is nothing. People will not pay pennies for this land. Number one, it is probably destroyed. Number two, there is no guarantee that it will retain any value in the future. I have no idea who will stay in power, be in power five years from now. And if the future power is unstable, unknown, what happens to people? Like, you know what, I really, you know what, this is a beautiful piece of land, but I have no idea if someone's going to steal this from me. I have no idea if I can maintain this land after I buy it. And so you got this family, Hanamel, right? And as his land is being overtaken by the Babylonians, likely he's running, his family is. And when you run, you're not really thinking about taking a building with you, you're thinking about taking money with you. It is the most transportable item that has power. Because wherever you go, you can spend this money. And so Hanamel is not thinking about saving his land. He's not thinking about taking his cattle. He's thinking about transferring his land into something he can take with him when he's running from the Babylonians. And what is that? That's money. So now, you know, the, the promised land during this time was considered sacred land, right? So families did not, uh, were not uh, trying to, to take land and put it outside of the family. They wanted to keep land inside family lines because it was sacred land. It was promised land by God. And so Hanamel is looking at this land. This is worthless now. And he's got to get out of here, but he just doesn't want to leave it. He wants to get something for it. And you can imagine this guy. He's just going to every family member. Hey, can, you want to buy my land? It's a really great land. It's got a nice well. It's really deep in there. You know, it's got a beautiful tree. I've got to swing on it. Your kids will play all day on this. You can imagine him doing the pitch to all of his family. Buy this. It's great. And every single one of them, like, uh, you know, heck no. Why would I spend good earned money to buy this worthless piece of property here, right? And you can imagine, he's got a list of all these family members starting from the closest one, right? And he's just crossing them all off, crossing them all off, crossing them all off. And he finally gets to this name, Jeremiah, <laughs> right? He's the next one on the list and he's in jail, 
right? But Hannibal doesn't care, right? And so he's going to make a, 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 a jail time visit to Jeremiah. And when he gets there, he's not just trying to comfort him. He's not saying, hey, man, Jeremiah, how you doing, cuz? You know, you all right in here? They're treating you okay? You eating okay? You look kind of thin. He's not really comforting him in that way. He's on his knees and he's begging him, please. I got some land back home. Good thing for you, nobody else wants it. And it's your right to redeem it. Will you please buy this land? Anybody in the right mind would do what every other relative before Jeremiah did. Say, hell no. And the only reason why Jeremiah dug into his pocket and shelled out some money for this land was because he got a vision from God. That is the absolutely only reason why he would make such an absurd purchase. There is no other reason. If under any other circumstance, Jeremiah would have turned him aside, and I likely say it would have cussed at him. <laughs> Get the bleep out of here. What are you saying to me? I am in prison right now, and you're trying to sell me worthless land so you can get somewhere you want to go, and I'm still stuck here? But Jeremiah, he agrees, and he... And he buys this, and he goes through the formal process. He gets these papers out, and it's all to the T. You know, where does it start? Where does it stop? What's the date today? And this is mine. Let's get all the names down. Let's get all the conditions down. Every single term of this contract was written down on two pieces of paper. One would eventually be sealed. One would be open for all to witness. And it's all done well. And Jeremiah painstakingly goes through all of the details and he hands it over. Baruch, make sure these last a long time. Baruch says, this is weird. Like, why would you buy that, Jeremiah? But I'll do it. He gets an earthen jar, puts these in. And you know he's just putting it somewhere, dug up somewhere in a hole, and he's going to bury this thing. It's going to stay a long time. Why this real estate transaction? What's going on here? I'm going to share a couple of things through this message that I hope will help you to look at some of the things in your life differently. Because Hanuman was laughing all the way to the bank here. He's laughing all the way to the bank. Got that sucker, right? I sweet-talked him. He was a salesman that day. But the only reason why that sale was successful was because God said to Jeremiah, buy this land when your cousin comes. This entire chapter is perched within this prophecy, the scenario of Jeremiah preaching a 70-year exile for Israel in Babylon. And this purchase, this investment, this was on the front end. This was at the beginning of it. This is when Babylon was right now overrunning all these spaces and, and Israel is now being occupied and things are shifting. And this is on the front end of it, right? And so the first thing that I'll say today is this, that we need to, if we are tuned in to the heart of God, followers of Christ, be willing and available to make front end sacrifices. And I say that kind of generally, hopefully, that you will apply that in the particular spaces of where you see your faith interacting with your life. 
Okay? In your career field, in the relationships, you can think of the different spheres or, or spaces of your life. Front end sacrifice. Before concepts are proven, before people are jumping on, before anything is guaranteed. Front end. When you can lose your shirt and your coat. Right? Front end. This is Jeremiah. Right? When nobody's putting down money to buy land, when nobody's making these types of real estate transactions, Jeremiah is doing this on the front end of a 70-year captivity. Because it's a sign. It's a sign. He was following God's leading. And to be honest, for those who follow God's leading, it is so easy to appear as being foolish. Like when we do something and we're doing it for God, like it is so easy for that to appear foolish on the outside. And it's going to take some time for things to shake out properly. It's going to take some time. But after things shake out, it stands the way God wants it to. But in the beginning moments of it, it's like, oh, that's, that's strange. Following that Jesus guy, he's He's strange. I know he's kind of magnetic, kind of magnetic. I know he's got all of these kind of things going for him, but I just don't know. You know, following this little tiny movement, I don't know. You know, it kind of started in, in chaos and in mystery. I don't, I don't know, right? But front end sacrifice is what God calls His people to many times. And what I wrote for you in the various spaces, whether on your outline or in the pastor's note, is this, that faith requires prepayment. Prepayment, right? Faith does. That if I want to say, I believe in this, I believe in this, company stock, I believe in this relationship, I believe in this cause, I believe in this organization, I believe in this or that. If I say I have faith in this, it will require prepayment. Me to put my signature on that line, when all seems uncertain, when nothing is proven, that we must be willing to sacrifice on the front end. See, jumping on the bandwagon is easy, right? It's easy to root for a team after they've won a championship, right, in the realm of sports. It's easy to put down some money in the marketplace or for a stock after certain things have been proven and you really believe that it's on the upswing. Now, you might be paying a little bit higher of a premium now, but you'll still make more money on this investment. But when nothing's proven, when leadership seems to be like, I just don't know yet, to believe in something, and it requires a prepayment with no guarantees. And here, God is calling Jeremiah to put his money where his mouth is, literally, right? Because if Jeremiah believed this message, God, is this really from you? 70 years? Like, I'm the only one speaking this message. Everybody else is saying something different. I am being ostracized, marginalized, hurt by this. People are looking at me, wanting to kill me, imprison me, get rid of me, right? Is this really from you? And you, you got to believe and you got to know that God is doing things in Jeremiah's life to absolutely convince him of this message. And how did he do it? He speaks to him in this vision and says, by name, Jeremiah, trust me. Trust me on this 70-year thing. 
You're going to be hard-pressed. You're going to want to go back on this. You're going to want to change the message. But trust me on this. It's going to be 70 years. And this is how I'll prove it to you. In just a little bit, your cousin, by name, Hanamel, he's going to do the most unlikely thing in this situation, try to sell you real estate during wartime. When he comes, buy it. <laughs> That's a specific prophecy. right? That's a specific tell, right? And so Jeremiah gets this word, okay, Hanamel, land, now? Um, okay. <laughs> okay. And lo and behold, <laughs> he's in the palace prison. Family comes. Hanamel. Really? You're going to stoop that low, cuz? You're going to ask me to buy land from you now? Like, do you have the gall? to actually make this sell to me right now? I mean, we're talking about being stacked, like this just should not have happened. And it does. And in the heart and mind of Jeremiah, God, you're right, man. I will not doubt you. I will not doubt you. 70 years? I believe it. 70 years. And he forks over the money for this, and he wants to make sure that this is well documented and that everybody knows on the tail end of this that he was being truthful on the front end. And it required that sacrifice, that prepayment, so to speak. Right? Because there came a moment. What's the moment of witness? What's, what's this moment I'm talking about? Jeremiah never lived to see this moment. He likely died in Egypt. Many uh, other sources point to the fact that he died in Egypt by his compatriots. Okay? And so Jeremiah never lived to see the day of this moment, but the moment came. Okay? So Jeremiah is preaching 70 years, everyone's grimacing. No, not 70 years. Jeremiah, be gone. To hell with you, right? And there comes a moment, the years pass. They're grinding, they're grinding, and they're grinding. Still, they can't be comforted for the children that they lost. They're mourning, they're angry, they're wondering, they're doubting. And as years become decades, generations turn. My children grew up and had more children, and I begin to see the young ones run the streets. Huge tectonic powers begin to shift. The Babylonians, who seemed indestructible, are beginning to fade and fall. New powers rise, new leadership is seated, and new leadership thinks differently. They begin to say to all the conquered vassal states, you know what, I think this empire would be stronger if you went back to your homeland. I think I would be able to rule this empire better if my people in this empire were happier. So I'm not going to displace you anymore. Go back home. Rebuild your towns and your cities. <sighs> to the joy of the Jews. Right? We are oppressed no more. It is a new day. It is a new leader. It is a new empire. And they are now flooding back home. Flooding. 
right? Everyone, wherever they were, they're going back home and now they're rebuilding their streets, hanging up the pictures again. Oh, they're going to work, rebuilding their businesses and everything is, oh, so good. And just as Jeremiah prophesied that there will be singing in the streets once again, there's going to be dancing. And you can imagine there was some partying going on once they went back home. And when this day was, I don't know. And who discovered it, I don't know. But I can imagine one day they were somewhere and someone had a shovel. Someone stumbled upon a jar and they opened the lid. What's this? Scrolls? Looks kind of old. Sealed? This is a real estate transaction. 70 years ago? Jeremiah? And this moment, I believe, resulted in tears. Tears of joy and tears of regret. The joy of the moment, God, you are so faithful. Like when all odds are speaking against this, when everything is stacked and it is not going to succeed, somehow you have a way of doing things. You are truthful. You prophesied through Jeremiah that it would be 70 years, and it was 70 years. We're back. And you can see the joy of that moment, of just seeing this, saying, God, yes, you are faithful. You knew this all along. But I can imagine it was tears of regret. The regret for mistreatment. The regret of judgment on a man who did not deserve the words that he received. And it was a moment that I believe was so powerful. And God instructed Jeremiah to buy this land from his cousin. That was so absurd in the moment for two reasons. Number one, to convince Jeremiah that the message that he gave him was truthful and to continue to speak it. That's number one. The second reason why God told Jeremiah to purchase that land seven decades previous was to show a generation that would not see Jeremiah many, many years later, to once again hear that witness and to be convinced of God's faithfulness. And these powerful moments of obedience, of sacrifice, on the front end, resulted in fruit that not only helped a prophet endure years of hardship, but resulted in jubilation decades later. See, as we follow Christ, God's going to call us to do things in our families and careers that might seem unconventional. Like the use of money or time. Like how we go about what's important to us. Like the priorities and the values that we set in life. It might be different from our colleagues, right? From From our other family members. It might be different from cousins and friends and co-workers. But no matter how it is different from that, when God calls us as people of faith to set up values a certain way and to put our money on the front end of sacrifice, I just want us to know from this chapter that there might not even be the day where we see the fruit in this way of what we're doing on the front end. 
But God's got a bigger picture of our life. Maybe He's doing something in our lives now and through our sacrifice, it will benefit our children or children's children. It might seem unfair because we want the fruit for our own lives. But God's got a bigger picture of our lives. And the sacrifice that we put in now for our families, for the livelihood that God has given to us, Let God piece that together and all we can do is live by faith now, tuning in, leaning in to the heart of God, wanting to know what He desires of us in the moment that we need to make faith investments. Jesus calls us to faith investments. When people were pressing in saying, we want to follow you, Jesus. He said, wait a minute. I'm going to require something on the front end. On the front end, deny yourself. On the front end, take up a cross. And if you on the front end can make these sacrifices, then you come and follow. What does that mean for you, for me, for us? So as I close, let me just close with one main point and I'll give us a short passage of scripture. You guys come back. I wrote it for you this way on your sermon outlines, right? Value and investment. And what I want to say is this. As followers of Christ, we must lean into God's heart and see where He places value. Where He does, okay? Because in the moment, that land was worthless. But to God's eyes, it had value. It had value in Jeremiah's heart and it had value for a future generation. So we must see where He places value and then be willing to invest into those things, even if the perceived value is not there yet. Maybe you see a person on the tail end of this statement. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a responsibility. Maybe it's a group, a cause, an organization, company. Perceived value isn't there yet and you're questioning whether you should just go in, all in for this. Do I need to make a faith investment in this right now? Right now? Like, I'm just not sure if I'm going to get my money back on this thing. Right? And so, don't haphazardly throw your money away. But what I'm saying is first lean into God. Right? Lean in there. Is God prompting in your heart to put your eggs in that basket? Like, does he have a bigger picture for this, right? Like, this relationship, cause, organization, whatever it is that you put in for this application point, right? Whatever it is there, and you're going to question whether there's value here. You're going to question whether this was a good thing or not. Like, I don't know, man, I just, I'm second guessing. I don't know if I should have done that. I don't know if it's worth it for me. I'm going to be putting in a lot on this. I don't know when I'm going to get a return on this. But we need to stop thinking that way. And when we lean into God, and God's prompting us a certain way, you need to believe in this, because I do. You need to see this in a different way, because I do. Everyone in the market is going to tell you another way, but my way is this way. To be able to have the courage and tenacity to fork over money for something absolutely worthless. And that's an understatement. In that moment, had a fruit that you cannot even begin to weigh. 17 shekels of silver. For what that accomplished, you'd pay a million. 
On the tail end, ugh, of course you can see why it was a worthy investment. But on the front end, it's hard. It's hard. So I leave us with a verse today. And it talks about our calling as followers of God. Consider your calling, Paul writes to the Corinthians. That there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. This is our calling. That if you are a follower of God, your calling is to be able to shame the wise, the strong, the noble, the mighty, with the things that are perceived to be foolish. I hope it changes how you see certain things in your life right now. And I hope that the application of this is not just haphazard investment, but intentional investment. And things that just don't look right right now, but you're confident God has you there. Amen. Amen.